Would you open in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue studying this important letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 20 today. I don't know if you guys are Academy Award watchers, but in 2006, uh, Reese Witherspoon won the Academy Award for Best Actress for her role playing June Carter, Johnny Cash's um, wife, second wife. Um, And in her accepted speech, it was so beautiful and touching because she said that the person she played, June Carter, whenever she was asked, how are you doing? How's it going? What's going on with you? June would answer, you know what? I'm just trying to matter. I'm just trying to matter. And Reese said that, and I thought it was so beautiful and touching because I think it, it strikes a chord with all of us, right? Every single human being wants to matter. We want our lives to amount to something. We want to touch other people's lives. We want to impact other people. We want to be able to look back over our life and see something that was worthwhile. That strikes a chord with every single one of us. Well, today in our passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is going to put his finger on that same thread. He's going to talk about a life that matters, and we're going to pick him up in verse 20. Hear now God's word. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together. Lord, would you free our minds and our hearts this morning to hear and receive and be transformed by your word. Make us doers of your word, not merely hearers. And so we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Paul starts our passage this morning by really putting the goal out in front of us. He shows us what it is that we long for and what we desire. He's going to marshal this metaphor about a house and utensils to get us there. But the goal is simply this in verse 21, to be useful to the master. That's the goal, that's the aim, that's the charge. And I want us to stop for a moment right there because... Does that not strike the heart of every single believer? Don't each of us as as followers of Christ long to be described in that way, that we are a people who are useful to the master, that we're beneficial to him, that we give value to him, that we do what he calls us to do, that we are indeed a people who are useful to the master? Now, I know we have to make a caveat there because when all of us jumped in the car this morning, running an hour late because of the time change, getting dressed in the car on the way here, we were probably not thinking about usefulness to the master, right? We were thinking about how do I not strangle my child in the back seat who's driving me crazy or my spouse or my roommate and how do I show up to this place smiling, pretending like everything is okay? We weren't 
We weren't first and foremost meditating on usefulness to the master. But what I'm submitting to us this morning is you begin to dig around in the heart of a believer that's been turned from stone to flesh, and you will find this there. You will find this an evidence of faith within our hearts that when you really press and you really dig, you will find the Spirit transforming us in a way that, yes, we want to be useful to the Master. We want to be beneficial to Him. And truly, what small ambitions in our life could rival being useful to Him? We're talking about the God of the universe, the God who sits enthroned above, the God who even now is being served by a host of angelic beings, a God who upholds the cosmos by the word of his power, who can direct the affairs of this world like a general saying to a soldier, you go here and you come here. That's the God we serve. Who would not want to be beneficial, valuable, useful to this master? What could be better? Jesus tells a really interesting parable in Luke chapter 17. And it takes a few readings for this thing to really set in. But he says, look, there's a a master and a servant. And the servant goes and serves all day in the field. He toils in the field. And when he comes home, what master will say to him, sit down, have a seat. Let me serve you some dinner. You did a great job today. No, the master is going to say, after you've worked in the field, you come and prepare a table for me, and after I've eaten, then you can eat, and then you can clean up the dishes. That's a very odd parable, and I suspect that as we understand that this is God speaking about his servants, an unbeliever would find that pretty prickly, right? Why would I want to run around and serve a God who makes me labor all day and then make his meal and then wash the dishes afterwards? And truly, if God were like some of our ungrateful, um, cruel employers that we work for week by week, some of us are in those situations now who greet our successes with ungratefulness or they take our credit or they greet it with more tasks, then we might all feel that way. But we know our God is not that way. He is a gracious and a loving father. And so we say with that parable in Luke 17, even though it's counterintuitive, it is deeply satisfying to say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. When we serve the master, when we're useful to him, we find ourselves in that serving. What comes to mind when I hear that phrase, being useful to the master, is, is of course our kids. The the stage in all of our lives as kids and our kids today where we, we are just so eager to be involved in adult projects, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this in your childhood. You see the flour and sugar start to come out of the pantry and you see the hammer and nails come out. A project that your parents are doing is about to get underway and all of a sudden there's this pitter-patter of feet and chairs are being dragged up to the countertop and plastic tools are being grabbed out and, and we're eager looking up at our parents saying, is there anything I can do? Can I please, please do something and help you with something? I try to remember in those moments, a day is coming when I won't be able to pay my kids to help me with a project. What what was going to take 10 minutes is now going to take an hour and there's going to be a lot of cleanup, but it's so worth it because my kids want to help their dad. They want to be involved. They want to be useful. And it comes to our kids like a grace, right? Right? What's gracious about telling your child, no, I want you to sit still in this chair and watch me make the cookies and me put this back together, and then when I'm done, you can participate? No. 
it falls on us as kids like a grace to be helping our Father. Friends, as believers in Christ, we are kids in a kingdom. We are armed with plastic tools, and we get to be useful to our Heavenly Father. He invites us in to labor with Him, and that falls on us like a grace. That's a sweet and a beautiful thing. When Paul says that, when he, when he speaks about being vessels of honor that are useful to the master, that strikes a chord in our heart as a son and a daughter of our heavenly father. We say, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want to be a part of. Now, the metaphor he gives to describe that is very straightforward. He says, I want you to imagine a, a, a big house that's got a lot of utensils in it. Um, there are some vessels in this house for honor. They're made of silver and gold, and you use them for noble purposes. You can imagine that china bowl that you inherited that's sitting on the dining room table filled with plastic fruit. This is a beautiful thing that's on display. But there are some vessels in the household that are not for honorable uses. They're made out of clay and wood, now, don't go mixing biblical metaphors here because you might think, well, Second Corinthians, Paul says, we're all clay vessels with treasure stored inside of us. That's a, that's a different metaphor with a different point. Paul is saying clay and wood, those are bad things. These are vessels that are not used for, for honorable things. They carry out the waste in the house, and, and that's not something we want to be. So the paths before us are plain. The goal sits right in front of us. What does it mean to be a vessel of honor, useful to the master? And Paul is going to answer that question. He's going to lay the road before us to say, if that's you, if you really do desire to be a vessel for honor, useful to the master, here's how you do that. It happens in verse 21 and verse 22. He says, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. And then he goes on in verse 22, which is this tight construction that describes our sanctification. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So to grow in usefulness to the master, to to pursue that goal and that aim in our life is to stop doing what's bad and to start doing what's good. It's to die to sin and unrighteousness and start to live towards God and righteousness. But there's more than just moralism here. I want to point out just three observations about this path that leads us to usefulness to the master. Number one, this is nothing new. We're not reading anything this morning that's going to strike us as unusual or unique or new. We're talking about every single believer in this room, every single person who is a vessel in the master's house, and the charge to us as those vessels is what it, is what it has always been, and that is how Paul would summarize the entire Christian love, life, faith, and love in Christ. It has always been faith and love in Christ. It is faith and love in Christ. It always will be faith and love in Christ. When we talk about usefulness to the master, we're not talking about a new theology, a new program, a new agenda. It is what it has always been. Are we as believers growing in our faith? Do we believe the gospel? Do we understand our triune God and trust him? Do we know that he's good? Are we growing in faith? Are we growing in love? 
Do we receive God's love? Do we love God in return and other people? And are we doing all of this not by ourselves, but in communion in Christ, in the union that God has given us with himself in his son? Faith and love in Christ. There's nothing new that we say about this path. Well, secondly, Paul is saying that the best defense is a good offense. Notice how he pairs fleeing with pursuing. The way to fight sin oftentimes in our life is to not focus on fighting that same sin. The way we, we address and do battle with these passions that entangle us is oftentimes not to focus on those same sins. This is what I mean. We don't fight gossip and criticism in our life um, by resolving to ourselves not to gossip anymore. We don't sit down and make that resolution and then stop gossiping. Oftentimes, the way we fight that is to speak often and well of other people. We find ourselves fighting that very same thing. We don't fight addiction in our life by sitting in our bedroom and saying, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it. No. We often fight addiction by, in the power of the Holy Spirit, stepping outside of ourselves and serving other people. We don't fight lies about ourselves, hearing that we're worthless or unworthy or ugly or of no use to God at all. We don't fight those lies by just stopping up our ears and trying in earnest to not listen. We fight those lies by finding a hundred avenues of truth that will fill our minds and our hearts. The fighting of this sin, the pursuing of righteousness is in the fleeing. I'm going to use a really dumb example of this, okay? I'm going to give us a command that I want us all to obey, and that is this. I do not want a single person in this room to think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do, just banish that thought from your mind, okay? Now, every one of you just thought of a pink elephant, right? Every one of you just kind of proved how depraved you really are how little you respect your pastor. You thought about a pink elephant and you proved that when you focus on the very thing you're trying to avoid and fight, you can't help but but overindulge in that thing. So I want us to do something different. I want us to imagine an enormous gray elephant. I want you to think about seeing him in the zoo. I want you to think about his large, gray, round body and his tough skin. I want you to think about his long, gray, hairy trunk and his little twitching gray tail. I want you to imagine this gray elephant. And and as you do this, you can picture that very thing. And and you're proving this very simple point that Paul is talking about here. It's hard to avoid the thing you're thinking about avoiding, but, but the pursuing is in the fleeing and the fleeing is in the pursuing. If you find yourself headlong running after Jesus and his righteousness, faith, love, and peace, Lo and behold, when you turn around to look behind yourself, you will find the youthful passions and indulgences that you once engaged in far behind you because you are pursuing now something that's good and wholesome and sweet that your heart wants. Well, third, the third observation about this path that leads us toward the goal of being useful to the master is this. This is not a lonely quest. This is not something that we do by ourselves. We read in verse 22, we do this along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We do this in community. We do it vertically by calling upon the Lord, and we do it horizontally by joining people who call upon the Lord. We do this in community with other people and with Christ. 
Now, I love reading saints of old because sometimes they can be so punchy and so engaging in some of this stuff that anything I say afterwards is going to sound very tame in comparison. I was reading John Calvin this week as he thought about the urgency of believers joining with each other in this road of the Christian walk, and this is what he says. All those who spurn the spiritual food divinely extended to them through the hand of the church deserve to perish in famine and hunger. Take that. I mean, I can imagine our associate pastor, John Pauling, standing up here and saying, hey, friends, as you're leaving the church today, please remember to sign up for a life group. This is the way that our church gets in small community together and we do life together. Don't forget the sign-up sheet. And John Calvin standing on my right and saying, if you don't do that, you deserve to starve to death. Um, There's an urgency here about this because if we try to make our piety, this activity of a personal, private prayer closet, we are walking off the cliff as far as sanctification is concerned. We are not designed this way. We are not made to do it this way. Don't you dare walk the road of Christianity by yourself. If we catch you doing that, if we see you doing that, we're going to grab you and throw you back on the playground of life to play nice with the other Christians because that's where you belong. That's where you're supposed to be. Unless you have a doctor's note signed by Jesus, which tells us why you're the only Christian in the world who can fly solo, who doesn't need to be a part of a life group or a community that asks tough questions of each other, that you can come and make these cameo appearances on Sunday morning when the weather's nice, and you can wear this thin veneer of spirituality when anybody tries to get to know you. You say, praise God, God is good, I'm fine, everything is well. Unless that describes you, I hope the people in your life who love you and who love me will drag us kicking and screaming back into a community because this is how we're designed. We don't do this by ourselves. We do it vertically with our communion with Christ and we do it horizontally by linking arms with other people who are walking and running in this exact same direction. Friends, in the master's house, that is in this church community right here this morning, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. There are those of us in our midst who earnestly, one step forward and two steps back, are seeking to cleanse ourselves of the sins that even now so easily entangle repentance and faith. We confess these things to God. We trust that he is good and that he forgives us. And we long to be a person who is useful to the master. And we will be. That's his grace to us. And there are those in our midst who are believers who are right now vessels for dishonor. The master is extending his hands to us and he is saying, come and do this and walk with me. And we are right now saying, no, I won't and I can't, and I'm not going to do that. I want both groups of people to hear the gospel loud and clear this morning, which is as sweet to us today as it was when we first believed. The promise of verse 21 says this, if anyone, if anyone, I love the Greek word there because you can translate it anyone, 
like anybody, if any single person here, whether you are a vessel of honor or dishonor, or you don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ, or you don't know if you don't know him, if anyone will call upon the Lord in repentance and faith, he will cleanse us of these things, and he will invite us to be used as our heart's greatest joy to be useful to the master. Let me pray. Father, this is what we want. We want to be cleansed from our sin. We want to die to the things that enslave us and entangle us. And we want to be reminded of your gospel, that you freely forgive and restore and build us up so that we might be useful to the master. We might be engaged in your work. I pray that for myself and for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.